Shut up and sit down. This is part two of the podcast, Year of the Sentinel, Canon versus Fanon. Well, I think in a Sentinels and Guides, our known universe, where you've got watchmen and protectors, it'd be a much reduced instance of sexual assault. This is true, too. Because you don't want to be trying to force your girlfriend to have sex and have a Sentinel rip your arm off. <laughs> right. And that's, and that's exactly what As would they haul you out of the car. <laughs> Uh, and that's that's the reality that people have to think of. There's some things that be dramatically different in the Sentinels or Guides or known universe, especially in in areas that have a higher concentration of Sentinels. Is you're not going to have as as many of certain kinds of crimes. So that's just the way. It it doesn't make sense to me that some that the same level of crime, violent crime that we have now, would happen in, in that kind of universe because. Sentinel's going to hear you, and I would think in a in a universe, if I, the way I write it, that Sentinels and Guides are are revered parts of law enforcement and the military or whatever. If a that a Sentinel hearing you do something would be admissible in court, so you know you're not going to smack your girlfriend. This is ugly, but I think in a world like that, um, men who are prone to rape would just drug their women, um, just drug their targets into um, into silent submission. I think that's true, but I think that it'd be one of those things that Sentinels would catch you quick. Because um woman reports it, they bring a Sentinel in to, you know, sniff her. He'd go on the yeah. hunt, find the guy who drugged her, find out if he's a serial offender. Oh, we've caught this guy's scent on multiple people. Um, I would think, I actually think a lot of Sentinel police work would be a lot about them sniffing people out. And he's like, hmm. I've smelled this scent on somebody else who woke up in a hotel room. Let's find this guy. So we may or may not bring back all his pieces. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the thing is, is that rape is such a crime of dominance and power that I don't think it can be eradicated. I don't think um, it can be. I agree. With you. I don't think it can be eradicated. And I think it'd be one of the things that Sentinel law enforcement would, would be focused on is what new ways that people come up with to try to get past this. Right. Because we're not having it. Um, I do think I do think in a Sentinels and Guides are known universe, Sentinel countermeasures would be. I really explored that in Demons. The idea is the Sentinel countermeasures. I think that would be big business for people who want to commit crimes. Um, so, I would not want to be a female Sentinel and give birth. No. I mean, just like, you know, personally. <laughs> no. Um, there's a lot of complication to work out if you do something with, you know, like werewolves and sentinels and guides. Um, it's not impossible. So I'm not saying it's impossible, but it is complicated if you're going to have werewolves are known and sentinels are known in the same universe and werewolves can be sentinels. Um, 
But I will add this. I don't think you can actually have Sentinel and Guides are known and werewolves are not in the same universe. No. We've talked we talked about that on another <laughs> podcast. It, it's it's kind of no. No. Because I the only the only way that works is if Sentinels and Guides are in very small numbers and they just have never crossed paths with a werewolf. Otherwise, but the it, first it time they do, it's like, what the hell are you? Yeah. Can you imagine <laughs> First time a sentinel crosses, and I talked to me about this one day, and their counter was, "Well, what if the what if the werewolves are the, are are really minimal?" And I'm like, "Well, they were, we were specifically talking about Teen Wolf," and I was like, "Except they're not that rare." So, no, I mean, they're so prominent that they actually have entire generations of families who want them. They're not rare. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the first time a sentinel would cross paths with with, the, with like, you smell. I, I could see them calling into their Different. alphas like there's someone not human I mean very very distinctly not human who looks human do we have aliens do we have aliens now I, I need to understand oh that's just a world don't worry about baby uh, what now <laughs> <laughs> what now I honestly think in a world where Sentinel and Guides are known and like in Teen Wolf and, and Werewolves are maybe known by Sentinels and Guides that Hunters would not exist oh I agree I don't think a Sentinel would let a Hunter like um what's her name the argents the argents would not exist in that world because uh a sentinel would have taken kate out a long time ago because she's a child predator and a rapist i also think i do think one of the other challenges of the mass murderer (laughs) but yeah also if you have a sentinels and guides are known universe and a werewolves are known universe okay and you're putting them together which is the way i would do it Although the one time I did write, well, I guess, I guess technically twice, I wrote Sentinels and Guides and Teen Wolf. I did make them human, which sort of violates the one thing I almost never do with a werewolf fandom is to make them not shifters. But whatever. I wanted, to, I was writing shorts and I didn't want to get into complicated world building. But anyway, if I were to do werewolves are known and Sentinels and Guides are known and werewolves could potentially be Sentinels or whatever, I would simplify you have to you have to eliminate a lot of canon elements, like Kira said, like the Argents. You have to change what their function is. Maybe maybe they're you know they ha- have some other role. Maybe they're anti Sentinel and guide. They you know or I don't know. You got to find something else to do with them. Um, but I think you also have to simplify the Teen Wolf, Wolf world because if you start also having all the other creatures that they introduced in 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 Teen Wolf, all the you know the different types of chimeras and the um, you know any kind of fairies or those other little things were they red hats no i think i said that wrong um but i think that you have to keep i I think that really we should probably put that little demon fairy from supernatural and everything yes she needs a good (laughs) marker waving in every story um red caps yeah thank you so there are all these there are all these other supernatural creatures so i think you have this when you're taking two really you know rich world building elements like shifters and and sentinels and guides i think i think it, it's really helpful to simplify the, the 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 magical and supernatural world building a little bit like i would just get rid of all the other supernatural species i would just get rid of all the other mythical things i wouldn't have unicorns and fairies and all that stuff it's just, just it would be too complicated i just got a, a stupid plot bunny okay hear me how out da- how, how dare you Hear me out. It's stupid, though. Okay. So, like, say Styles um, goes to college, and he, like, you know, gets a degree in something really interesting, fascinating, whatever, and he, and he wants to go to Atlantis, and um, Derek says plus one, for whatever reason you would like, okay? So, 
like, what if well, werewolves are known on Earth, right? So John, like, comes around and says, look, we're getting a new guy. Um, he might set your thinking, you know, he might set you off a little bit. He's a little, he's going to be a little weird. He's not like the rest of us. And Ronan meets him and is like, oh, hey, you're a shifter. And, like, Derek says, so are you. He says, yeah, I've been hiding it. I know how they feel about it. Because Ronan's a werewolf, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, headcanon, Ronan's a werewolf. <laughs> I told you it was dumb. <laughs> it's not dumb. It's cute. <laughs> Ronan's a werewolf and he's been hiding it. Yeah, because he'd be like, well, I didn't notice it. Well, maybe he didn't sell any shifters amongst them, so he thought it wasn't part of their culture. Just keep it like, I'm just keeping that to myself. I'll just, I'll just keep it. Um... A <laughs> furling. <laughs> the Ronin's people were furling. Yeah. Ronin's a werewolf and Taylor knew that she wasn't going to tell nobody. <laughs> and John would be like, why didn't you tell? Well, John, I didn't tell anybody that you liked Rodney. Wait, you like me? <laughs> I keep your secrets. Okay, he could be a big cat. Ronnie could be a big cat. Big vicious cat. Oh, not a bear. Bears stink. Have you ever been close uh, close and personal with a bear? I mean, you know, canines and big cats can can have a particular, you know, odor about them, you know. But bears, oh my god, I would never want to be anywhere near a bear shifter. <laughs> oh. That's not sexy. <laughs> She's typing a book over there. I just got a plot bunny. Leave me alone. <laughs> She's tapping a bunny. <laughs> okay. Okay, I didn't want to forget Look, that. It's actually my head cannon that Rodney is always pissed about the dick he didn't get. <laughs> or the ass he hasn't gotten yet. No, I'm not typing up her bunny. <laughs> Why would I do that? No, no, no. I'm typing up. I just got an idea. I just got an idea. So I was like, she's got a bunny. She's not going to share with you guys, but I expect to hear about it later. <laughs> <laughs> I just got a really weird idea for November. Oh, okay, this cool. November. This November. You guys will see it eventually. Yeah. Like two months. Jesus, just two months. Not even two months. Wow. 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 It's here. Holy shit. Wow. Okay. Um. Mm. I am 17k into my quantum bang. That's really amazing. Well, congratulations. We got Margaret also. She's 15k into hers. Um. Rogue is just go. over 10. Congratulations. Go, 
I'm now fully plotted on my quantum bang. I think I finally have a solid direction. That's awesome. I was telling those guys earlier when you before before you came in, the reason we hadn't had podcasts is my AC was broken. And um I I had a seven forty seven masquerading as a fan. <laughs> oh, it's loud too. It's loud. I got to hear it one night. I was like, Oh, that is a seven forty seven. I mean it is ridiculous. Oh, here, wait, first I'll show you guys. Here, wait. Hold on. I still have it. I just I haven't put it up yet. My my AC is fixed. Jesus. That's ridiculous, right? <laughs> but it worked. <laughs> I told you it was ridiculous. Yeah, well, she, she. I was having some problems with some plot issues one night. So she got on the, on the voice chat with me. And I was like, wow, that's really loud. I did warn that's her loud. in advance. She did. She did. It didn't bother me, but it was just like, wow, that's really loud. Um, I couldn't believe how loud that fan was. Because usually, as long as she's got her pop filter on, we don't hear her fans anymore once she got a good headset. And, um, yeah, that was, like, really... Although, when she, wrote, when she wrote that she had gotten her air conditioner... But my my thought first my first thought was, if I had just gotten my AC fixed and I was just hot, because one night your, your office was, like, 95, right? Or mm -hmm. something like that? I'd have been like, I'd have had my shirt off standing over there in front of a vent, like, woo, cool me off. Somebody, somebody make my tits cooler <laughs> because boob sweat is a real, that's, that's the first place I sweat in a warm room. Man, I, I normally shower once a day, right? I was showering two or three times a day just, just to cool off. Yeah. It's terrible. What happens to your boobs when you get really too hot? I mean, I have, I have my ways of dealing with it, but it's, it's still not pleasant. It was terrible over here. I go. That's I get the. Terrible. I go. I go get those um, like twelve packs of men's all cotton white handkerchiefs, right? And when it's getting like really hot, and I'm getting like the really bad boob sweat, I I tuck those handkerchiefs up. I change it out like every hour. Huh. Up under my bra, because I mean it's just it's too it gets too unpleasant. We had a portable air conditioner we put in the bedroom so we could sleep with coolness because you know we had to, we had to decide where we were going to put this portable air condition. And of course, the bedroom one, obviously. <laughs> Yeah. What? <laughs> but yeah, so that that's why we haven't had a podcast um for a week because I didn't have air conditioning and I had to run that big giant van just so I could live. So but um I, I think that basically when you're uh when you're working with fandom versus canon in any fandom, but most especially in the Sentinel, is that it's good to know the canon and to have your own grasp of what fanon works for you and what doesn't mm -hmm. and don't be afraid to do something new like have your spirit guides talk if you want to that's your shit and you can do with it what you want except for if any of you write girl um girl baby cry baby blair on my site i'm gonna kick your ass <laughs> She can be a girl, but if Blair's a girl, she better be a badass. That's right. <laughs> we don't need we don't need any terrible cliches about you know twelve year old girls who dry, cry at the drop of a hat. Um, 
but they're actually, I mean, the can- if you're not using Jim and Blair, there may not be a lot of cannon for you to do anything with. It's one of the times when you can really just go, eh, fuck it, cannon. Um, but when you're using your fanon, just make sure your fanon that you address, you know, what the fanon elements you pull together, the world building that you do, that it is, it is internally consistent for starters, and that your plot doesn't contradict your world building, because you can do that quite easily. Or you make some piece of world building that's so outrageously abusive that it's difficult to ignore. Yeah. Like Blair having to be celibate because his sentinel is straight. Or, someone brought this up, because I often write my sentinels and guides um, in sexual pairings. Um, I don't... I think that circumstances are too intimate in fanon with, um, with with bonding for them not to be in a sexual pairing. But I've never once written that, that a sexual bond was required. In fact, in Sentinels and Guides, most of of, of Sentinels of Atlantis, Daniel and um, Sam Carter had a platonic bond for a very long time. She bonded with him when he was still married. And she respected that. And never, never once was did I ever say in any of my fics that sexual bonding was required. Because um, that's rape. I think it makes for a better pairing, a more interesting pairing, and a stronger bond. But I've never written it required. If you write it required, you need to be aware of the fact that you are setting up situations where people are not in consensual relationships. Now, I have written stories where the only way for somebody to um, the only way for some some sentinels and guides to get to a bond is if they choose to go the sexual route. But it isn't required that they have that kind of bond. And they shouldn't be so, required to accept a sentinel or, or guide as their sentinel or guide. Right. It's just I would never do that. Um, there, I mean, there should be choice. Well, I will say on this, this is just, this is my feeling on this. When it comes to asexual sentinels and guides, if, um, if they have an empathic bond, I would never have set one. I, I wouldn't have, they'd both have to be asexual. It's just for me. I feel like this is my feeling is if one care, one side of the pairing is asexual and they have an empathic bond, um, especially if the guide is the one who's asexual, that they're getting sexual bleed through from their sexually their active, their sexually active sentinel. And I feel like that would be abusive. So um, I would just personally not write that. Um, I have to come up with some other way of, of handling that, that, that kind of situation, because I feel like to me, my, my mind immediately goes to someone who's asexual is getting sexual bleed through, through their bond. It feels really, to me, that feels like I would be really disrespectful and borderline abusive. So I would be very careful how you write that kind of thing. Um, you also don't want to write a sentinel and guy pair in um, a same sex pairing where one of them is vehemently straight and then having the other partner, especially if the guide is vehemently straight um, and the sentinel is running around having sex with men and they're being bombarded by um, these sex acts that they want no part of. I think you create a situation and that's regardless of the, I mean, you know, it doesn't really matter what their preferences are. If, um, 
they're being bombarded by the sexual feelings of somebody else that makes them uncomfortable, then you're creating a, an abusive situation. Now, I know I don't I don't need people to chime in and, and tell us that sex, asexuality is on a spectrum. I know I know that Kira knows, um, but yeah, okay. So for the for the for the 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 person who this would be a real struggle for is I'm kind of trying to look at it empathically or empathetically from the side of the person who this would make them very uncomfortable. And um, it could be, you know, you could write it to a specific situation where there isn't, you know, you could write an ACE guide who didn't have a problem with feeling the sexual, the sexual bleed through uh, from their partner. You could write that, that, that in this case, in this case, it's okay. But in general, I'd be very careful for, for me about going down that path because I like to write an empathic bond between the Sentinel guide. And if their guide is not, if their bond is not sexual and they both are having sex with other people, that's fine. Right. They're feeling that through the bond to some degree, but if you're, that's fine. But when one partner is getting these feelings that they don't want, it, it's, it's, it, it's very imbalanced. So it's wouldn't just it, Wouldn't it also create a feedback loop that's ugly? Because here's the Sentinel getting feedback from their guide empathically about how disgusted they are about what the Sentinel is doing, whereas the Sentinel is projecting these sexual feelings onto their ace guide who's then disgusted, who pushes it back at the Sentinel. This sets up a very abusive cycle. Yeah, it could. And that's why it's just you have to be careful. I think just the idea. So if you're going to work with bonds and characters who are empathically bonded and then you have one character who's ace. I'm, I, you, my suspension of disbelief is challenged up front because to me that sounds very problematic. But you write what you want to write. I won't be writing it. And that's why if I were to write uh, uh, an ace sentinel guide, they would. I, this is the case I'm going to say that nature provides. They're going to wind up with an ace sentinel. You know, their their counterpart's going to be ace too because it's uh, that would make sense to me because it, for me a sentinel and guide are supposed to are supposed to be perfectly matched. Yeah. So, and I am not trying to you know, and I'm not even. And please don't anybody take this as me saying that you know if somebody's going to be ace, they have to be with somebody who's ace. I am not saying that. This is in the very specific context to the fact that I like to write an empathic bond between the Sentinel and the guide that because I would want to keep it healthy for all the partners that I would write it, that, that their perfect match is also going to be ACE. So that's, that's what I would do. That speaks that's to equality. Yeah. That's equality. Um, I wouldn't want to ever write the bond in an empath, in a, in a Sentinel guide relationship being something that was a source of, of harm to one partner. So I would just be very sensitive to that. Um, some people might think I'm being oversensitive to it. Some people might think I'm undersensitive to it. I don't really care. This is how I feel about it. <laughs> I, you know, it, I shy away from writing characters um, that I can't, put myself in their shoes. A lot of people give me grief about not writing an ace character. The thing is, is I don't know what it means to be asexual and what it means to be asexual to one person is entirely different than what it means to be asexual to another person. Cause there is a spectrum and you can't, I mean, there is no one portrayal of an asexual person. There is a one portrayal. And it's just like, I don't want to be the person who writes a fic that hurts somebody's feelings. 
on like I wouldn't ever do it on purpose. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are people there are people who are ace that are entirely platonic. Well, thank you, Tiffany. That that means a lot. I worked really hard on getting that right for um, writing Draco um, as demisexual in um, Dark Little. Um, and I was really worried that I was fucking it up and pe- if, if, if people would hate me <laughs> for that. I mean, I don't care if you hate me for other shit. <laughs> but I also don't write trans characters for the same reason. Because I wouldn't want to create a character who's transgender and get it wrong. It would get ugly. So, I mean, it it's just, I try to, when I approach how I'm going to write a character, um, I try to be, it, it has to be within the bounds, when it comes to Sentinel and Guide stories, it has to be within the bounds of the, the story, kind of story I want to tell. And the kind of story I like to tell in the Sentinel and Guide universe is one that has empathic, empathic bonds. That's what I like. You may have noticed. I don't know. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why I would be very careful and cautious in my approach to writing a, an ace, an ace Sentinel guide is, is what the bond, the, could the bond be a potential source of abuse? And I would want to be careful that it wasn't. So that's just. And also why, why I wouldn't want to write force bond situations where, um, a sentinel comes online and a guide is assigned to them. Yeah, that's really... <laughs> I mean, the only time I ever write anything close to that is where it's like you're in a military situation and it's, you know, there's like a guide pool. This is the guide who's been working with you until we get you back home. And that's more of like a conservatorship kind of thing as opposed yeah. to a bonding kind of situation. But because of the kind of bonds I like to write, um, because of the kinds of stories I like to write, um, and I try to make you know, and because I don't want to, I don't like the idea. I, I certainly, there are stories out there where there are abuses in Sentinel and Guide relationships where the bond can be used abusively. I don't like to write that personally. So I'm very careful about how I, you know, construct what I'm going to write and how I'm going to approach it. So within the bounds of the kind of stories I like to tell, I would not, I would not have one half of the pairing be ace. And it's not because you can't have one one person be ace and one person not in a relationship that don't that's a false equivalency to what i'm saying i'm saying that based upon my type of world building to me it would be a, a situation that could get abusive so i wouldn't do it i try not to put anything in my world building that has um specific abusive ripples I mean, you can't take abuse out of a world involving humans because because we're fucked up assholes. But I don't set out to put elements in my canon, in my in my head canon, in my story that the only purpose is abuse, mm-hmm. or or where I have to do, you know, five thousand worlds of lampshading to work around the abusive potential, right? I mean, I just, why would I do that to myself when I could just not do it? Someone asked me once why I didn't um, have um, the entire that bind. I didn't um, really explore the abusive elements that can take place in this kind of world. Well, one, I'm a romance writer. 
If you want tragedy, there are, there, there are plenty of places you can go in fandom to get it. I also like to write sexy stuff and fun stuff and people getting off. And that's what Ties Up Bind is about. It's about love and sex and um, kinky ways to get it. And um, I have no interest whatsoever in, in, in writing the more abusive elements that would take place in a world like that. Um, because... I mean, you dealt with it to, to a little, to, short, to a small degree. I mean, you tease at it in some of the, some of the plots, subplots. Right. Um, There's, yeah, there are... Because that would be unrealistic not to have any of it. But they okay. asked me to write... They wanted a full-on story with abuse on screen. Yeah, I just... Um, I just... Yeah, there, there are other places... There are other places to read that terrible stuff. So They'd have been really happy if John had given Rodney to that... Um, to Jordan. When Ew. when Jordan asked. Ew. That, that person would have been really happy with that. They They told me so. They should, that would have been a really good place for you to put something realistic in your story. Right? Right? It would be... I, I told them, I said, I don't write rape. Don't email me ever again, you fucking asshole. <laughs> and, be, you know, with Sentinel Guide world building, it's very easy to set up situations that you don't think are rape, that are. Yeah. Where you have where you have deprived the guides or the sentinels of right of, of consent, the ability to consent. And when you do that, just just be careful when you're building your world building. That if you're gonna if you're gonna put something that's kind of ugly in, do it do it deliberately. Don't do it on accident and just be unaware of it. So just pay attention to those kinds of elements where people, you know, can consent and they can say no and um as an example, there are there are people who have written ABO who would never in a million years believe that, that, that they wrote rape. Yeah. And the thing is, it's so, to me, it is so easy to, if you, if you like all of the world building dynamics of ABO, if you like the idea of, um, I, I conceivably, conceivably for many people, um, the part of the appeal is, and I think this was the origins of the trope was someone who's masculine presenting or male presenting, being able to have a baby. Okay. I think having to be a, be a male, being able to bear children was sort of the origin of the trope. Somebody wanted Dean to be able to have somebody's baby. Castiel's I'm assuming. I don't know. I didn't read the, I didn't read the original story that, that started this trope, but whatever. It is easy to, rem th that's not a problem. If that's what you want to write, fine. There's, there's actually a lot of variants of that kind of idea. Um, but Putting in the mindless heat, that's the problem. And it's such an easy problem to solve, which is there's no mindlessness. Yeah, they're horny, but so what? It's like, hey, I'm, I'm having my heat. I need somebody to bang me for a couple of days. This is going to be great. And they keep their mind, and they're just horny, okay? That's fine. That's fine. You could have some fun, sexy times. Um, you know, Queenie, I didn't understand male preg. And then I read... The Surrogate by Seeker Geek blew my mind. That's really good. I mean, it, it, this is not about impreg, so it doesn't. This, I'm not talking about whether impreg is fun or not. I'm talking about the consent issue. So you don't want to read impreg, don't read it. But for people who really want to read impreg, which is a, a lot where this trope came from, was out of people wanting to read impreg. Um, it they didn't need it doesn't need that mindless 
that mindless heat thing. And that is where the consent problem is in the mindless heat. Um, I think they put the mindless heat in for the rape. Yeah, probably. Well, I, well, but they always, I, I don't think they would put, I, to me, they're probably fetishizing the consent issue there, which is, you know, what I think they are, would tell you they're actually doing is they're trying to, um, use as a plot device to get the relationship moving, right? Oh, they, they had sex together and they found that they were really compatible and now they've got a baby and blah, blah, blah. So they're using it as a shortcut to relationship building. But just go write a soulmate trope like the rest of us, you know? Just, you know, <laughs> you know there, there are a lot of, there are other tropes that shortcut the relationship process. We don't need lack of consent as the relationship shortcut. And I, I would bet you that most people do it as a plot device to shortcut the relationship building. Um, but it is so steeped in... Um, ugliness that it just it, it's such an easy problem to solve and I read people um, saying that they've totally solved the whole issue of um, of the ABO trope and they're, they've gotten rid of all the problematic problematic elements and then I go read it and all they've done is is put you know a whole ton of world building around how omegas are protected so that they can't be abused in this way by their mindless heat so I'm like why don't you just take the mindless heat out why not just take the mindless the part about? they like? They like the mindless fucking. It's just, I, the thing is, I think you can be really fucking horny. You don't have to be out of your mind. I've been really fucking horny. I took this medication once. <laughs> <laughs> My doctor warned me it could rev up your sex drive. He really warned me about that. I, there was, I, there's not a chance in hell I'd have slept with somebody. It didn't matter. It didn't matter that I was ready to hump my chair. I would not have chosen to sleep with somebody on that medication that I wouldn't have chosen otherwise. So it was not subverting my will, but it definitely made me want to give like all my fuck buddies extra calls. And in fact, I did. I mean, <laughs> there's a time in my life when I had a couple of fuck buddies, right? And we got together on occasion. It was sort of like, look, do you want to like have like sex every night this week? That'd be great. <laughs> oh, you can't. I know, can, I know that's, can you do Monday and Wednesday? Okay, great. Yeah, I, I can plot somebody else in on Tuesday and Thursday and maybe somebody extra in the afternoon. I mean, I was just, I, I, my vibrator bring a friend. Such, <laughs> my vibrator was getting such a workout, but there was no, there was no, so I, I've been through, I've personally experienced rampant horniness where I was, but I didn't bang anybody that I wouldn't have been banging otherwise. I just was banging them with more frequency. Um, because I really, really wanted, and it was kind of nice for a while, but eventually I just was like, I got to get some work done. <laughs> I got <laughs> to stop abusing my vibrator and get some actual work done. Um, I can't call in sick because I'm horny again. <laughs> but anyway, um, but it's such an easy change to right take the mindless out, and yet that's not what they take out. <laughs> it's just like, what the fuck? Um, but I've also seen people take like, um, like the 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 dom sub world thing where like people are naturally dom sub sub or switch or non-dynamic or whatever and do that kind of world and insert ugliness into it like there was one story i read where i noped out but where you could work subspace could be forced Mm. That, sub that doms could force do submissives into subspace by touching them in the right way. It was a touch. It was a biological, a physical thing they could do to them. Where if you touched them, like some, you know, 
let's say you touched me on the back of the wrist or something that it could force them into that wasn't actually it but you could force them into That's subspace the by doing this fuck. yeah and and it was I, I was like i read this and the thing is it was clear that the author hadn't thought through that this they thought this was some charming world building they were using it as a plot device right to get this one character in a certain situation and i was just like you know, if this actually was what happened, submissives would be living in, like, you know, they'd all be living on, like, an island somewhere that had walls, like, 50 feet high, and they'd I mean, be shooting, any shooting any dom who came near them. It only it happens just, with adults, right? No. Subs are born. Yeah, because you're born that way, right? And it, it's it's a biological imperative. It's like, oh, I'm like, on. why would you insert that much ugliness? In? And the thing is, you could t- I could tell from the way they'd written the story that they hadn't considered the ramifications of that choice. But I also like the think neighborhood it, pedophile preying yeah. on sub children could could happen. Just the right touch just forces them into subspace, and they have, and then they'll do whatever they're told when they're in subspace. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa! I was like, I, I, I read that. I was like, and the thing is, I was this concept was brought in like halfway through a fairly like a novel length story, and I was like, I mean, I like reared back, and I was like, oh my god. And I was like, I can't read this. Oh, my God. <laughs> and and the Dom is sitting there telling the sub, oh, I would never do that to you. And he's like, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I, it, submissives, I think, would just be running around with, like, guns, like, ready to shoot first Dom that came near them. Don't you dare get near me, motherfucker. I mean, there would be like, yeah, I mean, no. No, it's just there, there'd be, I was like the implicit rape, and it, it, there was no on on screen rape, so the story wasn't tagged for rape, right? But the implicit sheer amount of rape going on in that world, I was just like, whoa! I really do think that I, I really do think that, that there'd be groups of submissives who would just have taken off and been like they, they'd be like living like Amazons, right? Like Net, shooting any any Net dom armor would be the most popular purchase on Amazon, small, yeah. medium, and large. It'd be, it'd be, it was just, it was just terrible. It was terrible. But you could tell, like I said, you could tell that they didn't realize what they had done. But you, and so you have to be careful with Sentinel. And the reason I brought that up is because you have to be careful with Sentinel Guide world building, that you be careful that you don't create indentured servitude type situations when you don't mean to. I have read people who write like Sentinel Guide where there's like forced military service or whatever. And clearly that's a conscious choice. I personally don't like it. I don't like the idea of slavery to the government, regardless of what you call it. I don't personally like it. Um, and I'm not talking like, you know, like everybody has like four years of mandatory military service. I'm not talking about that. But when, if you become, I mean, I've read stories where if you become a sentinel, the government basically owns your ass. And I just, I wouldn't choose to read that. But clearly that's a conscious choice. I'm talking about the unconscious choices. Um the unconscious choices you make that can have a real impact on um, a character's personal agency um, on consent. You just need to be careful to make sure that you're, if you're doing anything that that steps into that, that you're doing it deliberately. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm all up for some bonding, biting during bonding. Um, and I've I've read yeah, I wrote bonding biting in um Vol for You, but I also wrote in there that uh someone being bitten against their will um can fight the bond off and ruin the wolf's life who did it. That it's a severe taboo and it leads to in 
and then it can lead to insanity. So, I mean, I think that just when you're making your choices about what you're going to put in your story where um, you're giving a character... Because anytime, anytime there's intimacy between characters, there's a potential for abuse. So you just you don't want to create situations where it's obvious that there would be abuse between a character with left or with a character with less integrity, because that's what you wind up with in these stories, right? It's like, okay, well, the only reason there isn't abuse is because they're writing two good guys, but it's obvious that this could be abused. And that kind of implicit ugliness can really taint the whole story, in my opinion. Because you're sitting there going, yeah, you got to know Sentinels are abusing that or Doms are abusing that or Alphas are abusing that. You know, they are maybe not this right. Alpha. I think it's important for your world building to know the ramifications of your world building, um, whether you choose to ignore them or not. You need, to, you need to know what you're writing. Yeah, do it deliberately. Don't don't accidentally make your your main character a rapist. But don't make your main character a rapist. <laughs> really, really don't, don't, <laughs> don't. It's you know, I mean, I I had this I had this discussion with somebody one day. This was a few years ago, um, and they they had they they had plotted the story and they're running it by me, and it was something I couldn't actually. I, I other than this first conversation, I'd had to back out of it because of their plot. But I said, "Well, but you're making your main your character rapist," and she says, "No, no, no. The, their their situation is consensual and shows me all the reasons." I go, "Yeah, but it, it, this is a slavery story that she had plotted, right?" I'm like. Yeah, but um, it's still he still owns him. So I can't give consent. It's technically still rape. It's rape. It's rape. It's rape. Because your character doesn't actually have the legal right to deny okay. consent. So if you know, I mean, you're. I feel like you're giving justifications for their relationship, but it's just it's just ugly. So, um, Um, just be careful about your choices. And when you're, when something horrible happens, it should be treated as something horrible. It's not saying you can't have somebody do something horrible, but just don't don't treat it like it's not horrible. And don't be surprised when someone points out that it's horrible. I mean, yeah. Like I remember being in Farm Bunnies once on um, on Facebook, and this woman, um, person, this person, because um, I don't really know if they are male or female. I don't remember this person. Um, posted a plot bunny for other people and the plot bunny was that Jane Jane and Thor were in a relationship but Darcy wanted Thor so she got a potion from Loki or somebody and potioned Thor into having sex with her and Jane breaks up with him because of it right and yeah Kyle, you were there and I wrote on there that you needed I said you know you need to put it at the top of your plot bunny a rape warning. And she said, oh, it's not rape. <laughs> just, yeah, okay. So I had to say, okay, so what you're saying is, is that Darcy potioning Thor into having sex with her when he wouldn't have sex with her normally is not rape. Is that what you're saying? And she deleted it. I'm not sure where she got the potion, to be perfectly honest, in this plot bunny. But yeah, she didn't believe it was rape. And I'm not sure if it's because she thinks that 
magic doesn't count or that men can't be raped by women or or what? She she deleted it instead of having a conversation with me. I have so. I have to say this to me this edges around one of my most hated tropes, which is the doubling down on the trauma to a, a rape victim, which is that not only they have they been sexually assaulted in some way, whether it's whether it's violently or or whether it was through a potion. Um, and I have to say, would think potion would be nightmarish, right? Where you're deprived of your will, but you that think is you a mental it. and physical rape. Right. You think you want it, but you've actually been deprived of that. Anyway, so you've got the, the, that trauma, but then you double down on it by having their partner blame them and leave them. Right. That's a big one in um, Star Trek, you know, because mm-hmm. Jim Kirk is a whore and he must be punished. So, you know, he gets raped after he's bonded with Spock and Spock is a telepath and doesn't even rec- recognize that his telepathically bonded partner didn't have consensual sex. And he blames Jim for the sex that was actually right and then dumps him because right. Jim's a whore. So that kind of, I, I don't get it. I mean, you've already had something horrible happen to this character with this, the rape the, and potentially mind rape and physical rape. You already had that. Let's double down on the awful that's happened to them and have, and have their partner betray them too. And make it be and gaslight them into it being their fault. I just it, it is one of my most hated tropes is is that kind of thing. And that to me, that's what that bunny feels like. Is get Jane to break up with Thor because Darcy rapes him. And worse, it, it why would you take characters that you actually like and make them do shit like that? What in Darcy's character inspires that behavior? In the In Death series, Sahara, there is a drug called Rabbit. There's also one called Whore. And both of them are um, drugs that turn people into um, sex-crazed, fucking anything that will move. They're, they're date-rape drugs. And they can be used on men and women, not just women. But um, they make them very, 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 very sexually promiscuous, and in some cases they don't remember it, like like it's a version of a, a Rohypnol. I think Rabbit is a version of Rohypnol. Um, Horror was the one that was developed by that company, right? That Yeah, yeah. But Rabbit, I think, is a is both. But they're both date rape drugs, basically. Or they're drugs for sexual enhancement that get used as date rape drugs. And more, and when they're and often, like some of the victims don't even remember what happens during it. I and mean, I think that's rabbit, or it could be whore. I don't remember. But the victimology takes place over and over and over again because not only have they had this this against their will, they either don't remember it or they or they remember it to be consensual when they know it's not. Yeah, and that's really fucked up. And to me, that's what, like, when I read potioning in the Harry Potter fandom and stuff, you gotta realize that's a really messed up thing because, you know, if Harry or Hermione are potioned into thinking they want this and then they find out the the truth, they're they're denied. There are levels of that depending on what you're doing with your plot bunny. Like, if they're soulmates, not only is it like emotional, mental, physical um, rape, it's also magical. Yeah. But I just I think if for me if you take if you take away if you make them think they wanted it right that is such a mind violation because 
in their mind, they always are going back to denying their own trauma by saying, but it didn't feel like it. you read that was, you had that in, um, unspeakable, unspeakable plot, which was that, that, you know, Harry had a really hard time, you know, with, th- with, with mind healing around it because he didn't see it as rape because he was it, often the aggressor. Yeah. Um, and I think in, that's, in, in his mind, it was consensual. And I, well, I, I was on the fence about how to write that, but I thought that that was a very realistic position for a man to take. I agree. It felt very realistic. And it also, it's just, it, it, it just doubles down on the trauma, right? It makes it cause your, your mind is also violated. So, um, so you have a situation like that, which is already difficult, right? And we already, we explore it in, in stories, certain, certain stories, but then to, then to add on by having um, their partner, their romantic partner, gaslight them about what happened. It, it's just, that's just, I just, it, it, I hate that personally. I, I don't, that whole, my partner, I understand they're using it as a plot device because I'm sure somebody will send me an email explaining to me the kind of narrative device that is where, you know, they're they're using that as a segue to get the end the relationship and move the person on to a relationship with somebody else. Although, I don't yeah, know. but that's a disgusting segue. Yeah, we, so, we recognize it for what it is. We just find, don't like it. Yeah, to find another way. You know, if I want to, not break- only have you made your one character be the victim of rape, you've made your other character an irredeemable asshole. Congratulations. Break him up. There's got there's other ways to break people up. You don't have to do it that way. Just saying. Yeah, just break people up. Yeah, just I. It's just it's crazy cakes. It's crazy my cakes. aunt left my last her her last husband because he snored. I there have been people who've gotten divorced over the fucking toothpaste tube argument. So <laughs> you don't gotta work hard at this. No, no, but she seriously did leave him because he snored and he refused to get um a sleep study done. Um, so she divorced him. Well, a girl's gotta sleep. <laughs> And honestly, earplugs are not the answer. Now, my husband ha- is, has sleep apnea. And for nearly a decade, this man snored. Snored. And it got to the point where sometimes I'd be laying there in bed. And, I, and it felt so personal. Like he was doing it on purpose to keep me up. The cereal marrier. Um, and it would be like, you know, I could just put both my feet on his ass and just push him right out into the floor. Because he got, because when you can't sleep, like, it's like, it's like, he's doing it on purpose. He hates me. <laughs> you get really irrational in the middle of the night. You're tired. I get it. Now he has a CPAP and he doesn't snore. So, marriage well, saved. Yeah. Well, my grandmother, my great grandparents, they started sleeping in separate rooms once their kids were out of the house, basically, because his snoring was so bad. And honestly, hers wasn't great either. So, between the two of them, and so when I would visit, I mean, it'd be like in stereo. He was across the hall. She was down the hall. And it'd be like, and I could hear them both through the closed door. (laughs) And my grandma would tell me to sleep with earplugs. I'm like, grandma, with the problem with earplugs to me, here's the problem with them, is I can hear my heartbeat when I put earplugs in. I can't do. So I'm sitting there listening to my heartbeat all that. And I don't find the sound of a heartbeat soothing at all. I I understand that babies do, but I don't. I'm not a baby. You know, so uh, I don't need a heartbeat. That's when I started sleeping with a sound soother. And now I can't sleep without one. Because of my grandparents. So. Man snoring. 
Actually, I find yeah, you don't have to have some ugly dramatic scene to make your characters break up. Yeah, especially not something. But you're really doubling down on a character's trauma, and often they don't deal with it. Then Um, I just don't see the need to. Honestly, I don't. I don't honestly don't like reading stories that have massive trauma and then massive trauma recovery. Um, I don't want an angst fest. I write to make myself happy, and I read to make myself happy. So I don't want to read ugly things. There's a reason why I've only ever read. It's beautiful. I will tell you it's beautiful, but I've only read it once. I know Kara reads it all the reads it reads it annually, but. Uh, freedom is just another word for nothing left loose or whatever that title is. There's a reason I've only read it once. It's because I don't need to feel like that again. <laughs> I read it last week. Cried you, like a baby. Talk, she says, she, I think she does it when she needs to cry. I, I'll find another way. <laughs> I'll go it's read the my, best, most irritating way to cry. I will, I'll go watch Steel Magnolias again or something. Um, Man, Steel Magnolias, I'll, I, never get past, I never get past the part. Where Sally Field leaves the hospital and she goes to get her grandbaby, and he's walking down the sidewalk. I oh, shut up. I can't. <laughs> See? <laughs> See, that's what that's the way you handle it. You don't know. I, 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 my reading, my reading needs to make me needs to make me happy. So that's that's. I used to read really dark fic, but I, I just, I'm not at that place in my life. So I know that a lot of people really like angst, and that's fine. I, but you, I'm not going to write it. <laughs> But freedom is um freedom is more than making you cry because freedom is freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. It's also about recovery and Rodney's um strength of character, which is beautiful. Yeah. But that's often what people don't write when they write like this double down on people's trauma is they don't really write real recovery. Uh, it's often like that the person gets a savior who um Look, Dick really isn't magical unless it's attached to Loki. <laughs> or Harry's conjured one. Um, yeah, or yeah, or Harry's conjured one. So, you know, but that's just, that's just, that's just, like I said, it's, it's, it's me, but it is one of my least fa- favorite, tro- favorite tropes because I, it's a, it's a form of victim blaming. Um, but also you've already made your, your character's already a victim of a terrible thing. Why do they need to be a ter- a victim of partner betrayal too? The only honestly honestly the only thing worse is that whole falling in love with your rapist thing. Oh, I I don't, I don't even That is honestly why I rage quit Grim. Right? Ugh. I mean they're... I was so infuriated that I rage quit. I was like, "No, I'm done. I'm done." There are some tropes that need to stay in the 80s, and falling in love with your rapist is one of them. So, we do not thank you for that trope, 80s. Yeah. We all think of, we all think of the, the 80s romances, right? No, it was... Uh, yeah, it was canon. Nick winds up with, uh, what's-her-face? Adelaide. Yeah. They literally turn Juliet into a hexen beast who gets his mother murdered and he ends up with the woman who raped him. He falls in love with his rapist. And what's worse is they never even once talk about it. They never even say, hey, you know what? What you did was rape. And I was like, I'm done. Yeah, it's just, I just, why did they have to do that? Why that? Um, if they wanted him to get with Adelaide, they just should have done it. 
Well, Adelaide, once Adelaide did that, they, to me, the, there was no chance of a relationship, right? So that, that she had, you know, tricked him into, well, she was masquerading as Juliet, right? Yeah. So once, cause they did that, you know, um, they did that in Buffy. Um, but they didn't have the person wind up in a relationship with the person who tricked them. So once they, once they'd done that, once they'd made that choice to have Adelaide do that and, and commit that crime. It wasn't even the first time she did it though. But you're right. But it didn't. She roofied Hank too. Right. But my point is once she's done that, any chance of a, it's not the fact for me, the issue is not the fact that she did it. I don't like that. They have all that rape going on, of course, but, but it's not, not, I could, see from a plot choice perspective that you know she's got the power that she might do something like that she was pretty heinous when she was right the beginning of the series so it was the pro- thing is that once they've made that choice for her character to be that way that her her being in a relationship with hank or or uh nick nick was it was off the table it was done but then they turn around and have her, her wind up at the end of the series in a relationship with nick and it's like how uh, uh, uh-huh. i mean first she tries to murder his aunt then she rapes him. Well, well, first she rapes Hank. And she almost kills... What's his name? Um, Wu? Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then she rapes Nick. And then she has Nick's rape baby. And she ends up... That was terrible, I'm sorry. Then she ends up with Nick. And not once did anybody say, Hey, you know, you, you, you tried to kill his aunt. And then you raped... Um, Hank and Nick and what? She just once once she had done those things, she Nick was not a, a she was not a viable relationship candidate for Nick. Um, they needed to bring in another female character if they wanted to have wanted Juliet to leave him. Um, so it just I, I was just I was so I was just so flabbergasted by. By that, I was like, "No, I can't watch this." I, I quit. I quit over the same thing. I was like, "No, I'm no." Done. I said, "If if he's going to break up with Juliet, he needs to be getting it on with Sh- Sean Renard. That's the way that right? needs to go." <laughs> and that's that's not slash goggles. One hundred percent that. Tell me those two didn't were eye fucking each other on the regular. That is not <laughs> slash goggles. Now I have I have quite a few friends who ship Nick with Monroe, which is fine, except it, you know, once he's together with What's-Her-Face. I ship the canon pairing, so. Um. I think Nick with um, Monroe is cute the first season, but once, um, why can't what, I think why, why, Rosalie. Once Rosalie's on the scene, it's all, it's all Monroe and Rosalie, because that's adorable. Yeah, right, they were cute as hell. So, you have to, it has to, it has to, it has to happen before Rosalie's around, so. Um, but, but Nick and Sean is hot like burning, man. <laughs> right? It, it, For those of you who watched Grimm as, as it was unfolding, did is it just me? Or did the guy playing Sa- Sasha, his name is Sasha, right? Sasha, Sasha Ruiz, the, yeah. The guy playing um, Sean Renard went from okay to oh daddy. And like, oh, he, I what was what that? He was... <laughs> He went, yeah, he did. He for me, he went from attractive to whoa, daddy. Um, whoa. It's like <laughs> what wow. <the> fuck? 
I don't even know. Did the actor work out? I mean, I'm not sure what happened. I mean, it was just like he went from mm, to wah. <laughs> yeah, like, it was it was something. I don't even. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, I somewhere around I, when when he and Juliet when Juliet I don't remember when I really started shipping it. I think it was when Juliet and Nick were on a break. Um, when he was staying with Monroe. That I was just like, he needs to get together with the captain. I don't know when I suddenly just started seeing that, but I, and they need to get together. Like, yeah, and there's probably not, there's not... around the time he started looking like the hottest sex you'll ever have in your life. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's what when is I, that it's like when they introduced that plot line about him being a royal and stuff. It was like the actor just shifted his vibe of the character. He adds a little bit more arrogance, a little bit more upright. He there's a little bit more of that kind of sort of dignity about him and it was just it just got really hot i don't know what it was once they introduced that plot line it was like oh pizza tits man what whatever i have no idea what that means um but yeah i started to see i started shipping it and there's not a lot of it could they fit a sentinel guide trope um hmm no it's hard it's hard to make that work I think I, that the only character on the show that like well, there are actually two characters that scream guide to me on the show, and that's Monroe and Rosalie. <laughs> but Juliet I think I, too rigid for it. I think both Nick and Sean are more sentinel than they are guide. I think I could write Sean as a guide, but it would be the thing is I have a hard time fusing the grim world building with sentinel guide. Um, two supernatural callings. So I'd have to be, have it be mundane where they weren't, he wasn't, yeah. a, he wasn't a, what is it? Zyger be- beast or whatever the, that is. He was called. I don't remember what the male version of the Hexen beast is called. I think it's a Zyger Zy- beast. We could call my mom and ask her because she's all in on the Grim hunt, but she could be asleep right now. So, um, I could, I, mean, I could just look it up on the Grim wiki, but I don't want to, I'm feeling lazy. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure it's Zyger beast, but it, he could be. Yeah, the Vesson part of the whole thing is difficult. I just think I think if you want to use the characters, you just have to take them, put them in a mundane setting, and get rid of all the grim stuff. Um, that's the easy way. I think way if to you're going to mix a supernatural world with Sentinel, you just need to throw it all in. Or like do everything. I think I think you either need to go all in or just have the Sentinel. When it, when it comes to a paranormal element, if you've got Vesson, you've got vampires, werewolves, sh- shifters, <laughs> just sentinels and the the sentinels are actually like um the watchmen that emerge from humanity to watch over humanity and these various other um subsets of of, of humans yeah i think i think that works in grim because the thing at grim has got such a it, it is so entrenched in its supernatural world building just like the supernatural show right it is so deeply entrenched in in all of its supernatural world building that you can't just pick and choose parts of it you had like you said you have to go all in or or just do the sentinel you know it's either everything or nothing but like with teen wolf they don't explore their supernatural world building so it's really hard to incorporate a lot of those other elements is which which is why i would probably just go with the straight werewolves and get rid of the Mm -hmm. hunters and i would get rid of the magic and It'd be werewolves and sentinels and guides, and that'd be it. There'd be none of the other elements because it's it's so underexplored. Whereas in Grimm and Supernatural, that's all they do is explore it. In fact, I would actually probably in Grimm replace 
the Grimm with the Sentinel. Yeah, I would just. I for me, if I really wanted to write that pairing, I would. I would dump the Sentinel guide aspect. I mean, I would dump the the Grimm and Vessen aspect of it, um, and just write it as an AU, a Sentinel guide AU. I don't think a situation where a Grimm and a Sentinel. I'm not sure a Grimm could be a Sentinel. Yeah, they're two different kinds of supernatural callings, so yeah, it would have to be. I think it'd have to be one or the other kind of thing. Um, but I'd pick Sentinel. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I think a Grimm actually violates the Sentinel canon as a protector and watcher because if a Grimm was actually a Sentinel, I think he'd be more invested in protecting the Vesson population than in policing and killing them. Absolutely. And since Nick was the first one who didn't actively just police and kill, and actually not he even police, like, they he, were like shocked. They just, he just killed them, right? I mean, yeah. there was one episode that dealt with uh, some Vesson that was very peaceful or something. And he read, he read the accounts from his ancestor who had been observing it, who talked about how interesting and, and this, this, this Vesson was, but oh, I had to kill it. And I was just like, oh, okay. So, yeah, just, just be careful. It was pretty obvious based on the other ways that Vessens responded to, to, to Nick that his circumstances were super rare. That he wasn't a kill-on-the-spot Grimm seemed to be startling to all of them. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why he had to wear sunglasses to um, Rosalie and uh, and uh, Monroe's wedding was because they if they saw the guests were in, they'd all taken off, head for the hills. They're like, oh my god, there's, the, there's <laughs> a Grimm amongst us. We have to go. I mean, he's literally their boogeyman. Yeah, so it's 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 a little bit problematic to fuse with the Sentinel, um, which is why I would I would just throw out all the Grimm and Vesson elements, honestly. Although you could do the thing where you replace, where you do there's no Grimm, there's just the Sentinel. But then I do think you have to rework it. Yeah, there would be a lot of world building involved. Yeah, and it's honestly it's it depending on if you want to put that kind of effort in. That's that's great. It's longer. Because the more you have to kind of reconcile the canons, you have the more work it takes. So, which is fine. But usually, if you're trying to contain your word count, you know, simplify simplify your choices. Because you can have, you know, Nick living in Portland. This the circumstance. Think about the circumstances at the beginning of the show. All he knew was that he was a cop living in Portland, and his captain was just his captain, right? So you write that scenario, and the captain could be a sentinel. Or Nick could be a sentinel, and the other one comes online as a guide, you know, and and they get together. I mean, it it is a human AU. Yeah, it's just it's, I don't, it's not really. I don't find it really complicated how to bring those elements together. Um, but I also don't find it very entertaining. The idea anymore. Well, <laughs> um, no, I'm I'm so in on that pairing that. I, I don't. I, I mean, yeah, for a short story, like for the bonding in July, like for a 10k. But if but if you're gonna throw down 100k, I'm gonna need more than that. You need some more. Yeah. Because the because the world building in, in Grimm is is so intricate and interesting, and the best in culture, and to just rip it all out and just have them be two cops in Portland, 
who becomes Sentinel and Guide. That works for 10k for me, but I don't know. Anything over that? I mean, is it going to be a case pick? Yeah, right? I don't know how you get a novel out of it, to be honest. So it would be a short. And Arate, I'm, I didn't even know that there were good Sean Nick fix on AO3. So I, I'm sad for you and I'm sad for me. <laughs> One thing I didn't like in Grim Fandom is um, the amount of cheating fix that there were. I'm like, they couldn't break him up with Juliet first. So he'd be cheating. It would just come on now. <laughs> yeah, I, just get just break up. I mean, I actually at first the first season or so, I really shipped Nick and Juliet. So, but they they made her ultimately kind of moved her into the um, unreasonable girlfriend role, and which I I got so mad when he when she, when when she told him no, which I know was ugly, but I was like. Of course, I knew everybody's circumstances, and she did, so I get it. <laughs> I was still mad. <laughs> yeah. We're going to do a whole podcast on tropes we hate. Because this is a thing that needs to exist. I already have the art for it. I It'll hate cheating. I hate cheating. There's no need for it. Well, I mean, if cheating, it, it depends upon what you do with it, right? So if you have it as something that it's just a minor element, oh, my partner cheated on me, and especially if it's an, especially if it's a, a an unknown partner, right? I mean, I've read stories where it didn't like trip me off. It's sort of like, oh, my partner, my partner cheated on me, and I broke up with them, and now I'm getting together with somebody else. Fine, but I do get tired of the trope where you know they get rid of the girlfriend because she cheated on him. It's like if it's Find find another way. Um, and I really, I really don't like it when the main character is the person doing the cheating. I got so mad when I was reading this Tony other story, Tony Donoso other, and I was really digging the guy he's in a relationship with, and then he cheats on the guy with Gibbs. I assumed oh, I'm so mad. <laughs> I assumed oh. I assumed he was going to break up with. I mean, I knew the end game was Tony Gibbs, which was a little bit sad because I liked the OC, right? And I assumed Tony was going to break up with the OC when Gibbs got his head, head out of his ass and they got in a relationship. But no. No, that's not the way that went at all. No, Tony cheated on his partner with Gibbs. And I was like, you just made my 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 unicorn unfaithful. How dare you? How dare How you? How dare you? It happens in Harry Potter a lot, too, where Hermione and Harry are cheating on the Weasleys to be together, but they can't leave Ron and Jenny because they owe them. My disgusted expression is going to... You stop. just can't even... <laughs> even all us are rolling their eyes right now. Or where Tony Stark cheats on Pepper. I'm like, come on. Come on now. There are other ways to break them up. Or Pepper cheats on him. It's like, why does it, Why is cheating have to be the way it happens? I know that happens in real life. Can you please stop rejecting, injecting reality into my fanfiction? But it is canon, actually, that Pepper does cheat on the man she marries. That's canon in the MC, not the MCU, but in the um, Marvel comics. Yeah, they do that in the comics. Um, I she need was married to Happy, I believe, and she cheated on him. 
Yeah, I think so. When I read that in the comment, um, I'm in the comment wiki, wiki, I was so pissed off and I can't even stand Pepper. <laughs> well, it's like, am I supposed to like this character? You know, am I supposed to like this character? So. Although I do have a fic where Jenny is cheating on Harry um, because Harry got cursed and couldn't have babies, couldn't have more children. They only have one child um, and she wants more children. And so she had an affair to get them. And was really surprised when when Harry divorced her over it, because he thought she, um, she thought he would just accept his kid. Because that's the kind of arrogance I see in her. But it's not even about the cheating; it's about the baby. So. Well, if if one partner cheats and the other partner leaves them, and the partner who's doing the leaving is your main character, and they're moving on with their life, that's fine. I don't have, I don't have a problem. I don't want with... my main character to cheat, be a cheater. No, but also when it comes to, for the most part, it, sometimes it is, you know, breakup over cheating is like the most exp expedient and possibly realistic. And I actually think cheating is pretty realistic in Jenny Weasley's um, yeah. but case. It's ugly. But some characters, to me, it's not particularly realistic that they would, would cheat. So it, it's just like, I know it was expedient, but could we have done something else? Anything? I else? don't see Hermione as a cheater. I mean, I don't either. She got bit out of shape because she, just of the idea of getting expelled from Hogwarts. I don't think she would, she considered getting expelled worse than her own death. I don't think she would cheat. <laughs> I just don't think it's her character. Yeah, I agree. It'd just be a no. I don't think Tony's a cheater, too. But I do think Gibbs is. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I don't think Gibbs would have ever cheated on Shannon. But I think he thinks he, he, he sees every woman he has sex with as just a substitute. And, they doesn't, and it doesn't really matter what the substitute looks like on, on any given night. Because she's not Shannon. Yeah. I can't, I can't read Tony as, as, as somebody who's cheating. I can't do, I can't do it. Absolutely not. That's a hard no. If this is a hard limit, folks. Don't rec and don't recommend me stories. Oh my god, please don't ever recommend me a story where Tony is cheating. <laughs> Sorry, Queenie. But Eli, but you know, honestly, Gibbs is just, I mean, um, Eli's too good for Gibbs. <laughs> oh, by these, those who so fucking deserve each other, what are you saying? <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> <sighs> um, I cannot see Tony Stark being a cheater, but I can see him being someone who would who would revenge fuck. Like, um, I totally see him doing your best friend if you um, if you cheat on him <laughs> and bragging about it. Maybe I, having I, video footage if they consent. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit too <laughs> charmed. I'm a little bit too charmed by this idea. <laughs> he is that dude that would fuck your sister and tell you. <laughs> I'm over you. Your sister was a better lay anyway. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I mean, he would totally break up. But yeah, I just I just think Tony is the kind to, um, to revenge fuck. But he's not a cheater. No, I don't. And also because I would never want to, I would, I would never write a character who was unfaithful. Um, so, 
a main character. And I just would, so I wouldn't do that to my own unicorns because I really find it a detestable character trait. So I wouldn't go there, but that's me. But um, so if anybody has any more questions about Canon versus Fanon, drop them up above. Um, But we do have three more podcasts planned for the Sentinel um, before we get to next year, um, which is talking about the three elements of, of, the story, the, the three elements, which is spirit guides, sentinels, and guides. So we'll dig deep into those topics in those podcasts. So. And a lot of that will be about Fanon, again, because there's just not a lot of canon to work with. So if you have specific questions about spirit guides or or, or spirit guides, gu- guide, you know, guide world building, sentinel world building, whatever, you can leave those questions at any time. Um, in the ask a question for the podcast and we will um, we'll deal with those when we get to those podcasts but um, okay somebody had a question about what to do with Naomi um, what sense can you elaborate on what you mean by that oh you mean like in a sentinel guides or known universe Um, so while that, while that's potentially being clarified, I did, um, kind of touch on Naomi a little bit where I, this is where I decided to go with her in Send for the Man. I do feel like in a Sentinels and Guides or Known Universe that Naomi would be a little bit different. I think she would still be kind of have that kind of wanderlust thing, but in, and, and I think, she, I think you just can't ignore the way she's presented as, as a canon character, um, which is She's got got to have the kind of that wandering bohemian vibe kind of thing. Um, I think she's gonna be kind of a hands off parent, uh, but also the kind of parent who will let Blair explore whatever he wants to explore. So in Send for the Man, that what I chose to do with her is that she was a very supportive, but she also was kind of against um, institutions and that kind of thing. So when when the Shepherd Sentinels all came online, um, she. Um, she and Blair, Blair, who was a, a budding shaman, felt it. And he was very young. He's like he was a teenager, so he's like fourteen or something, I think. In that, I think is how I had old I had him be. And Blair knew that he needed to be there with these, you know, young sentinels who had all come online because they were all children. And she went with it because that was the kind of mom she was. So I had her take Blair over there, and Naomi stayed with the shepherds, and they all went to Peru together. And eventually, Naomi, when Blair was old enough, when he was 16 or 17, about the age where he went off to college, she left Peru and she went wandering around, you know, doing her thing. Um, and Blair stayed with um, the shepherds for a long time until he went to pursue his college education in in Washington. So it kind of, I think the Sentinel guide world building allowed me to do something a little bit more positive with her than how I perceived her in Canon, but I still kind of tried to stick to, she was just kind of a barely a footnote mention. Uh, but that's what I tried to do with her in that story. Cause I think that it had the potential to be um, a better environment in the Sentinel guide kind of world for her, but you could, if Blair's a young guide and she's an unfit parent, um, if Blair comes, it depends upon when you want her to come online, him to come online. If he comes online, let's say at 14 or 15 or something, and she's an unfit mother, 
the Sentinel Guide community is not going to allow Blair to stay with her. It, with hit with this level of gifts that he has, especially if the way Naomi wasn't canon, if her presence is a threat to him, I would imagine that Blair would wind up in the custody of the Sentinel Guide Center. In the Awakening, he was raised basically by um, uh, she. She gave him up when he was young because she couldn't handle him as an online guide because she was an online guide who had um, left her Sentinel. Um, because she didn't want to be, she didn't want to be bonded in the circumstances um, that she felt like she'd been pressured into it, um, and she didn't want it, and she wanted to be free, um, and she basically sacrificed. You know, she um, she gives Blair up, and Blair gets raised by um, an, another sitting on guide pair. I think it's a realist, really realistic approach to what Naomi would be like. Um, but I think you just have to work through what details work for you. It worked for me to have her be kind of indulging her wanderlust. And, he, and, and well, but no, no, to be willing um, to, to go with her son and these people she just met to Peru because the shepherds needed to hide what Alex was capable of until he could be trained. So um, Naomi being kind of, Oh, sure, we'll go. Just kind of being a little bit, having that kind of wanderlust and that kind of hippie approach to things worked for me in that story. And I was able to, I had to spend it in a more positive way than a negative one in order to get all of my characters in the right position. But in a, in a world where Blair comes online maybe younger um, and Naomi doesn't want to be pinned down, I could see more what, what Kira did in The Awakening. So it just depends upon what, what your story needs as to which way you want to do adjust yeah. her character. In canon, As, she basically ruins Blair's life. Yes. Well, I mean, you move with leaking the dissertation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she nearly causes Jim to be murdered. Yeah. Uh, but in a Sentinel and Guide no, is known universe, she doesn't have that potential. Yeah, all those, a lot of that stuff, a lot of the stuff we know she did on in 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 canon wouldn't happen. Um, I don't. I don't think she was ever a good mother, though. Um, she clearly didn't take any kind of responsibility for her own actions. But she's certainly capable of an, an immense amount of betrayal, um, which you can play with and, and do certain and do things with if you would like. Um, but you could but, also take the opportunity to have the the Sentinel Guide our known trope kind of erase even the potential for some of the worst acts that she committed. She can just d detach with love off into the sunset. Yeah. I mean, you have to, you have to decide when do you want Blair to come online? Um, you know, what were his circumstances? Do you want, it, does it serve your plot to have him be, you know, following right after his mother and staying with random people? I think if Blair's a, a young guide. I don't think he could just be staying with random people. I think no. Sentinel, Sentinel Guide Center would, would step in. So does, he, does it serve your plot to have him living with his mother in an art com, commune or something somewhere? Does it serve your plot to have him not be raised by his mother at all? It just it just depends upon where you want to go with your story and make your make the your character choices and your plot choices about as it pertains to Naomi especially since she's such typically a minor non-character in most stories, let her serve your plot. And because this is a complete AU, 
Um, yeah, Sentinels and Guides are known as a complete AU. Y- you don't... You shouldn't feel beholden to stick to any kind of canon. Just tell it all to fuck right off. You can give nods to canon if you want to, but you certainly don't have to. <laughs> Load the cannon with cannon. Shoot it right off into the sunset. I like that. You don't have to give Jim an ex-wife. Because yeah, in a different set of circumstances, he might not have married her. I mean, you should really evaluate everything about your character in this kind of situation. Like, how would their life be different? It's you the don't same have thing- to make Naomi a flighty idiot with zero responsibility. She could be. I mean, the flightiest person I ever knew was an art teacher who lived in a small, uh, small little farm in the you know up in the mountains. I mean, he came out of the mountains, like you know. Um, he stayed in town during the week, but he lived in his little little place up in the mountains on the weekend. Um, but he was still very stable. He, but he was definitely in the hippie you know hippie sport. I think she is an idiot. I think anybody that would take her son's work, his dissertation, that has not been presented um, in an academic setting, and reveal it to the world, give it to somebody who reveals it to the world, um, is in fact a fucking idiot. Because even if she hadn't endangered Jim's life, she did, in fact, screw him academically. She did it on purpose because she thought she knew better than he did. And that... So she's an idiot. Or Knowing she... the content of it... So, so either she's an idiot who didn't think it would cause any harm, or she's a malicious cunt who wanted to get Jim killed. And Or even if she was apathetic to Jim, she didn't care about Blair's actual academic future and everything Blair had been working for. If she couldn't see the ramifications of her actions. Oh no, she most certainly did not care about his education. Not the way Voldemort cared about Harry's. No, I mean, Voldemort was all in on Harry's education. I want to write a crack fic where Voldemort sends letters to Dumbledore bitching about Harry's education. And demanding, like, access to his grade reports and stuff. Like, right after, right after the Department of Mysteries is like, what are you teaching that kid? Why is he not better prepared for our final for our, for our final confrontation? It will not be grand if all I have to do is point my wand in his general direction, and it's over. <laughs> no one's going to be talking about that. I need to I need to go down in history. How is, how is this little asshole my equal? <laughs> Could you try a little harder? <laughs> Dear Harry. Actually, just write Harry directly. Dear Harry, I I've arranged for some suitable foster parents for you because this is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm tired of your nightmares. <laughs> what, what if, like, he does arrange for somebody else to take him from private drive because he's tired of how Harry's being treated because it's giving him nightmares? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the connection could go both ways, right? <laughs> I did read a really, really cracky, awesome fic once where um, Harry defeated Voldemort by getting laid. 
that it was the worst possible experience of Riddle's life, and he and he terminated. He self terminated. <laughs> Harry getting laid was the worst experience of Riddle's life. <laughs> he had to live through vicariously through it. <laughs> I wish I remembered it because I would like to read it again, but I don't remember it. I do know that it was on fanfiction.net. That is not helpful. <laughs> um, well, you know, this is a terrible thing to say, and I'm going to apologize in advance. But I had a conversation with somebody once. I have, you know, sometimes you wonder strange shit, okay? This is just, I mean, sometimes you meet somebody and you go, I wonder if he's ever had an erection. You just, sometimes you just have weird thoughts, right? So a friend of mine and I were talking one day, and she says, you think Voldemort had a sex life? I said, I'm pretty sure he didn't. And she said, really? Why do you, why do you think that? I said, because Harry would have known. <gasps> Don't you think Harry would have known if Voldemort had a sex life? Think about it. Okay, because you do know that the cursed child makes it canon that Bellatrix had Voldemort's baby, right? <sighs> Shut up. <laughs> so does that mean that Harry actually had a vision of Voldemort banging Bellatrix Lestrange. Well, consider that anytime Voldemort kind of lost his anything, he 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 he, he there was there was I don't know <laughs> there was mind share. Yeah, we all know that the only person in this chat room who is too young for this conversation is Margaret. <laughs> I told you. I mean, sometimes you just wonder strange things, right? But think about it. If if. Voldemort was actively had an active sex life, Harry would absolutely know. Well, I'm really glad that Harry kept that shit to himself. Thank, thank you, Joanne. <laughs> we appreciate your restraint. <laughs> I mean, every time Voldemort had a mild snit, Harry knew about it. So I'm pretty sure that Harry would have noticed sex. Which I guess with the cursed child, he, he did have to notice sex. Yeah, because apparently the um, the cursed child is actually Bellatrix and Voldemort. Unless, <laughs> oh, oh, God, wet dreams. <laughs> um, unless I was gonna say it could have been an, an in vitro kind of thing because maybe Voldy. It could. It may not have even been a masturbation thing. I'm, I'm sure they can magically extract sperm. You know. Little wand wave, and here you go. Harry did. Someone asked, wouldn't Harry have noticed Nagini becoming um, Nagani? Nagini? I always say Nagini, but I I honestly don't know. Become a Horcrux. He witnessed the murder of Bertha Jorkins, or whatever her last name was. And she was the murder that created the Horcrux that was Nagini. So Harry did know. See, I, we're just raising my point. We just—I have to believe that Voldemort was not sexually active. So you're saying it's Nagini? I'm pretty sure he witnessed both. Yeah, Kaya. With the deep, Kaya says the deeper you dig into the Potterverse, the farther it goes. It, yeah, the implications. Okay, so, so. Either it's Nagini or Nagini. I don't know that it particularly matters. It's a big snake. 
we all know when you say Nagini or Nagini, we all know who you're talking about. Well, I'm. I think you also potentially mean impotent, but um, I'm fine with Voldemort being sterile and or impotent, whichever way you want to go with that. Um, but as Kira pointed out, the cursed child. The cursed child says um, that he's Maybe not he sterile. Witness. Oh, so so you're saying it's Nagini, Ellie. Voldemort says he says Nagini. Because I pronounce G E E G like Nagini, except in the instance of McGee, because that's somebody's name. Nagi so Nagini. Okay. So it's Nagini. There we go. She was definitely a Horcrux before the graveyard. And Bertha Jorkins, um, See, we do a holiday in Albania in 1994. One night in a wayside inn, she ran into Peter Pettigrew, who the ministry thought to be dead at the hands of Sirius Black. Although she recognized him, he was able to persuade her to take a stroll with him into the woods, and he was able to overpower Bertha and bring her before his master, Lord Voldemort, who was hiding in Albania. Lord Voldemort was able to break through the memory charm placed by Crouch Sr. on her through torture and learned of the imprisonment of his follower, Crouch Jr., and also learned valuable information about the Triwizard Tournament, which he would use to try to kill Harry Potter. Breaking through the memory charm had left Bertha severely damaged and permanently damaging her mind and body beyond repair. Lord Voldemort murdered her with a killing curse, and because he had no other use for her, used her death to make his snake Nagini, not Nagini, ignore her crux. Peter noted this was a poor move. Like, who cares what Peter thinks? Um, believing the ministry would notice her disappearance and they would be able to simply modify her memory to cover up their tracks. No one wants your opinion, Peter. No one wants your opinion. <laughs> we don't care what you think, Peter. <laughs> it's, you know, I don't know. I don't remember. I mean... Did they say what he looked like when he killed when 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 he killed James and Lily? Was was he already snake like at that point? Had he already been deformed by whatever magical rituals he was doing to himself, plus Horcrux removal? I don't know if he was already deformed then. Because. Wouldn't it be interesting if the reason he comes back looking like a snake is because of the basilisk venom in Harry's blood? That would be interesting. Just saying. But this is like totally not on topic. <laughs> Completely. Although, we were like totally off topic. <laughs> although since we're off topic, I just want to say everybody when he in the when they saw Voldemort in the Department of Mysteries, everybody recognized him. Right. No one was surprised by the so if he was radically diff different in, in appearance, they, I don't know that everybody would have known him. I mean, him. even Fudge recognized him. Yeah. Which sort of implies something, but on the other hand, I can't say that I thought that she actually thought that through because thought that through and did it deliberately because most things she didn't. <laughs> the things that made sense, I think, wound up making sense by accident. <laughs> 
But we talked about my big plot hole when it comes to Harry Potter and the Sentinel. Because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you'd have you'd have universe that is known that Harry Potter would have grown up in a cupboard. Yeah, I mean you can make Harry Potter and the Sentinel work, obviously, but you have to you have to His fix Harry's childhood. His chances seem really unlikely. Yeah. I agree with you, Queenie. It doesn't actually make a lot of sense that everybody in the Department of Mysteries rec- recognized Voldemort. Um, because I can't imagine that he it, he wasn't like he was a public political like a public figure who was putting out his picture in the Daily Prophet. Um, even if there were rumors about what he looked like, I don't think he was making public appearances. So it just doesn't make a ton of sense that everybody would go, "Oh, that's Voldemort," is it? When was he ever arrested? He was ever put on trial. They didn't even know what his real name was. Yeah. He, he, no, I don't see how anybody knew what he looked like. Um, well, the Death Eaters, definitely. Oh, you mean like through pensives? That's but that's never brought up. In fact, they never used pensives in the court um, in canon that I could find. Because I was like, that would be perfect. Why aren't they using those? But then Dumbledore said they could be altered. The memories could be altered. So I don't know. It, it's 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 vague. It doesn't actually to me, like I said to me, it doesn't actually make a whole lot of sense that that they would all recognize him. But if you, when asking the question, did his appearance change his resurrection? One possible thing for saying that no it didn't change is that everybody recognized him but you could you could spin that as we do with harry potter canon when something doesn't make sense you just got to pick what is going to a work with your story and b is internally consistent with the rest of your world building so you know in, in that regard there's actually no it's it's, easier to do you, you do you right <laughs> in that one i think it's not going to make sense completely either way Take what you so, need. Leave so the just, rest. Yeah, exactly. And if somebody bitches at you about it, just go, hey, I thought, thought this through. It doesn't make sense no matter which way I go. So I went the way that worked best for me. And by the way, your non-consensual beta is not appreciated. So there. I mean, did the Death Eaters go door to door? Not. Can I talk to you about <laughs> About my Lord Voldemort. <laughs> God, what a terrible idea, right? <laughs> I have we pictures. Have, we, have, we have pamphlets. It's got his nose print on it. <laughs> you can tell he has a higher calling because he has no nose. when it comes to um a big a fandom with a huge canon like harry potter the um, the harry potter (laughs) 
That's a no from me too, dog. Just saying. <clears throat> so for those of you who are wondering why we're in hysterics over here, it's because Lady Holder posted a meme picture of a snake looking like it's opening a door. And the meme says, do you have a moment to talk about our Lord and Savior Voldemort? And underneath it, it says, it's going to be a no from me, dog. Hmm. <laughs> <sighs> Mm-mm-mm. What I was going to say about big fandoms like um, Harry Potter, I think Grimm actually has a lot of world building, like big world building fandoms. Um, Grimm, Harry Potter, um, where you have huge paranormal elements, um, Lord of the Rings, and when you mix the Sentinel and Guide in there, um, you're going to have to pick and choose um, the um, the elements that you keep that, to, to make it work. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I did in um, The Lion and the Raven, or The Raven and the Lion, I forget which one comes first, is that um, the Sentinel and Guide um, organization that's worldwide has a relationship with the ICW, which is International Confederation of Wizards. Um, And in that, part of their imperative is uh, not only do they protect mundanes, but they also protect magical people. And it is in the best interest of magical people to be separated, basically, from the Danes, mundanes. And that mundanes don't need to know about them. Because it would be very dangerous. History has proven that. <laughs> and that you, one of the it, ways they really, you know, got the, the Sentinels and Guides got that under control. Like, oh, well, you, you really cannot set witches on fire. Okay? You can't is that they separated them, and they help with that separation, and they help keep them secret. Which is one of the ways that I dealt with that. Because you can't hide an entire magical society from a whole bunch of signals and guides. No. It, 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 that, we talked, we, we had the whole discussion about the, the bit when you've got big secrets that conflict with each other, and hiding hiding big secrets from sentinels and guides is is a problem. So it's easier to put them in the secret? Make them part of the secret? Yeah, than to have them going, oh my goodness, there's a whole magical world hidden right under our nose. No. That's like in, when, when Sentinels Atlanta, when, when Sentinels of Atlanta, when I, when I bring Jim and Blair in, Jim isn't remotely surprised by the Stargate program. He's like, uh-huh, that's right. Yeah, we know. You don't keep secrets from Jim. <laughs> He's all up in the knowing. <laughs> I see. It's, it's it's actually it's there's a um in there's a story by Lady Rock called um for military men. And one of my favorite elements of that story is Jim because it's not a Sentinels and Guides are known universe, right? 
nobody knows Jim's a Sentinel, right? It's 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 Sentinel canon verse, a canon compliant Sentinel verse ish because you know Stargate. But, but anyway, Jim, my one of my favorite parts is when they've got their Jim and Blair on vacation in San Francisco, and Jim's like, "I'm telling you, there's a city right there." And Blair's like, "I don't see anything." And Jim gets a boat and goes out there and right up to the shield. He's touching it, and Blair's like, "We got to get out of here. We're going to get abducted by aliens or something. We can't be here anymore." <laughs> <laughs> like, and then, and then they have like all these zodiacs come buzzing in because they like, like, boated right to the city. And Jim's telling you, "Do you believe me now? It's right there," because <laughs> Jim can see through the shield because he's a sentinel, right? Because you right, can't keep, that's that, that's hilarious. Can't keep secrets from sentinels. And Blair's like, "Man!" And Blair, when Blair realizes that there really is a city there, he's like, "No, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. Someone's about to come and make us disappear." And Jim's like, "No, I got to find out what's going on." It is his it's it's hysterical that scene. I think one of the things you need to be careful when you're writing when when you're mixing Harry Potter in with other um you gotta be careful with secrecy spells um and muggle repelling um in any in any particular piece of magic that would manipulate the entire world. Because that is the stuff that wars are built on. Yeah, be very careful about man- about manipulative manipulative magic. Especially because I think if you've got if you've got sentinels on 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 board, um, sentinels and guides could find that very offensive. That kind of manipulative magic could be really a problematic for Sentinel Guide world building. So you have Look, to consider. We're going to help you hide, and we're going to protect you. But these are the things you cannot do. Well, you have to figure Sentinels and Guides existed right alongside Wizards and Witches all along, and that the protections that were set up for um, Sentinels and Guides, and I mean not Sentinel Guide, but for Witches and Wizards and how they would hide and stuff, would have been probably done in conjunction with the Sentinels and Guides. Like, okay, this is how where, where you're going to hide and how you're going to hide. and um, Because the Sentinels and Guides would consider themselves watchmen over the magical world, too. So, it, just having sent, the Sentinel Guides not be aware of the magical world is just kind of... it. It's a world-building decision that is going to be very problematic. As Tira says, it's better to just throw them into the deep end of the secret than... <laughs> I don't I in in the line in the raven um one of the things that comes up is that how you say that word look look at I say legilimens but I have legit or you mean legilimency I don't actually yeah. know how it's pronounced I say legilimens/legilimency but okay so Snape tries to do that to Hermione and she's a guide it doesn't work out well for him Now they can use psionic, you know, psionic power and to kind of shield their minds because um, they, they've been taught to do that. They've both been trained. Um, but I don't know if they could throw off an Imperius curse. But she gives, um, in the last part that I wrote, um, Snape went haul in on trying to get into her head. And she gave him the worst migraine he'll ever have in his entire life. Those were her words. And um, Harry said, 
how do you think that's going to shake out? And she says, well, if he knows anything about Sentinels and Guides, he knows I'm a guide. Because there's nobody, nobody else on Earth could have done that to him. And so they had to make a decision about what they're going to do because at that point they were still hiding. Um, and um, that's where I ended it. But I have more. Obviously, I have more plot. Uh, but uh, yeah. So so it's my head canon that uh, that um, they couldn't use magic to man- man- manipulate like with or like compulsion charms or stuff like that. But I don't because the Imperius in canon isn't blockable but it can be far off harry potter had that ability naturally mm-hmm. so i would say that it would depend on the strength of the sentinel on guide just like it would if a, just a regular magical person or a muggle person as far as the imperious goes i don't know how the, the imperious works it's something to kind of delve into how does the imperious work what does the Imperius do? Yeah, so that's something you'd have to work on. I mean, there's a lot of world building to do when you put the Sentinel with a, with with a fandom like Supernatural or Grim or Teen Wolf, and you have to decide what elements you're going to keep, how you're going to adjust elements. But the the last thing I think you should do when you're approaching that is be attached to any aspect of canon because if in your exploration of the outcomes of the changes you realize that a canon event would not could not would not should not happen then you need to let it go because if it doesn't make sense to you and you're having to jump through a bazillion hoops to try to make that canon event happen now i've seen people do stuff where they do interesting canon parallels um like they'll parallel a canon event or they're in in a different way um, so that it's kind of a nod to canon or a nod to this is how it went down differently because of the ramifications of my choices. But to have the actual canon event occur when it doesn't make sense. Um, it just doesn't work. You just got to be prepared to let it go. It could be argued that being able to fight off the Imperius curse is both mental and magical strength. Because if you have a lot of magic at your disposal, you could use that to shore yourself up physically. Well, if you're doing a um, Sentinels and Guide universe thing, you could actually, I think, easily make the case that guides are impervious to any kind of mental control. That none Based of magical... on their usage of psionic energy, right? That, that that's what I have done with um, Hermione, but I don't know about the Imperius. I mean, because because if the Imperius is using their own magic against them, that's an inroad into her head that she wouldn't be able to fight off that way. I mean, she can have the strength of will to do it, but if it's like if they're using their magic to tunnel in but to their magic, brain, but magic to me would be different than psionic energy. So if her, I would think still, I would write it that the that that the, her psionic energy, um, even if her magic is being turned against her, that her psionic energy is going to, because of the nature of her gifts, is going to protect her own mind. I wouldn't let it happen to her anyway, but you know, um, okay. So I have a head canon about the AK, which is that. Um, it was developed in a time 
when people were generally more magically powerful and it was a spell that was a convenient way of killing live convenient and humane way of killing livestock um but it fell out of favor it was obviously illegal against its humans it fell out of favor in any kind of mundane application because it people lost a wizards modern wizards don't have as much power which meant that only very powerful wizards um could even perform the spell which tended towards darker wizards often not always but often and so it became an assassination curse and then it became illegal so that's i have a headcanon around that um but i i I don't think that's something that you would be able to um because in in my headcanon that particular curse is a uh it's just it's it's interrupting somebody's life force i don't know how you'd block that off i think the only way to not except for harry to live through having an ak thrown at you is if you pull something in front of you to physically block it, something mm-hmm. significant, or you just not be there when it lands. <laughs> yeah. I mean, canon shows, like, magic I traveling. would never give Harry circumstances. Um, I would never give Harry circumstances where Lily's sacrifice was truly useless. And if she'd known he was a sentinel and sentinels can't be hit with the AK, why would she slip in front of him? But with that idea, she'd have to not have known he was a sentinel. But still, even if, even if, even unknowingly, a pointless sacrifice could feel really bitter. So, I, yeah, I agree. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. Uh, you gotta be, if you want, I mean, if you get, be careful um i mean even in darkly loyal harry is essentially death when when he returns to the past but zir used lily's sacrifice to keep harry in his body you'd be careful about making your characters too impervious to the potential obstacles not that you want them to be killed by the ak i'm just saying i i I was reading something recently where basically um, okay, let me frame it in the Harry Potter context because I'm not actively reading Harry Potter right now, so that won't give away the fan I think. Okay, so basically, they had given. Let's say the character was like all powerful, like 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 the way Kira writes Zir, or all, like we're talking like almost a level of omnipotence here, right? They mm-hmm. can do almost anything, and you've written the character with this level of ability. And they do astonishing stuff, okay? And you've written it, and then and then you get about three... So your characters have basically no obstacles, okay? There's nothing they can't overcome, which is fine. You may actually be writing a story where they are steamrolling obstacles. But then all of a sudden, your story, your character is stumped by because they can't manage to provi- perform a locator spell on somebody. Somebody gets kidnapped, and somehow the omnipotent Zir cannot find this person. Even though somebody, even though somebody with nowhere near his level of skill or power, is has done the kidnapping, it it becomes, and I, I see this this happen a lot in stories where you have something that's super powered, um, is that they give this character the ability to overcome any obstacle, and then they have the character stumped by a ridiculous obstacle. 
So if if you if you need your care and it, obstacles are actually often a really part of good storytelling. Um, your characters need to have things to overcome, right? It needs to. It's part of the journey. There needs to be things in their way, um, not ridiculously, but uh, which is why one yeah. of the reasons why I write Zier in that his that his power physically on Earth is quite limited. Because if he could fix all Harry Potter's problems with the, with the, why would Harry have to go through all that shit? The Zier has to. The Zier's existence has rules and limits and boundaries. Which is which is you know often, but if you're giving a character where you don't give them, um, character the boundaries, and then you can't have them then turn around and be stumped by something small, it'd be sort of like having Rodney being able to do all the stuff he can do in canon, and then all of a sudden you find out he can't do math. I'm like Rodney is stumped by a, a simple a arithmetic problem. It doesn't make sense. Okay, it's like somebody being able to you know hide John from Rodney by, you know, having Rodney not be able to, to work out one of those stupid order of operation memes that show up on Facebook every goddamn day. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, how many peppers do I need to make pepper coffee? And, it, you know, and then how many pepper coffees are going to, and Rodney's stumped and he can't rescue John. It's like, come on. Come She's on. Bitter. Someone mentioned about me making Rodney a shitty driver. And how that wasn't probably... Okay, so the thing is, he's actually a shitty pilot in canon. And one of the reasons why I make him a shitty driver is that I, I get the impression that Rodney, um, even when he's not doing science, he's doing science in his head. So it's not so much that he's incapable of driving a car, it's that he'd much rather be in his head. And he's a distracted driver, which makes him a shitty driver. And it could be that he's very self-aware, that he's like, okay... I know I'm a distracted driver. It's not good for the other people on the road. I'm going to be able to do the responsible thing and not fucking drive. Just saying. So, but and, yeah, it's just a, because, because he is, in fact, a crappy pilot. <laughs> and yes, okay. And yes, I want to say I am bitter about these order of operations memes because the people who didn't learn order, order of operations or they fucking forgot it, you're not, they're not learning it from, you know, sandals equals a hat memes on Facebook. All it is, all the people who are putting those order of operations memes up or doing is telling the world, I understand order of operations and I'm betting you don't. So give me the wrong answer so I can explain order of operations to you. So stop it. We get it. You know. But you know who I else I don't even look at those things. I just scroll right past them. Well, nope. I'm not going to do it. There's just so many. And the thing, I'm not, it's not just Facebook, right? They're everywhere. It's not just it, they're every fucking where. I'm like, I can't deal with one more of these goddamn order of operations memes. <laughs> How many French fries make a burger? None. No French fries make a burger. If you want a burger, French fries aren't going to cut it. But I do expect French fries with my burger because I got standard. That's right. But I'm just saying, when you give when you give a character a high level of aptitude in something, you can't then have them stumped by something that's right in their field. That's simple. And that's what I see happen is like you, you realize you need to give this character an obstacle or you want this thing to happen in your plot. But realistically, it, this character would be able to solve it in a blink. It doesn't make sense to then have them be stumped by it. It's just. Okay, we have a question in the Ask Me question. And I thought, let's make this the last one because we are working on four hours here. Even, even after I edit it, it's probably still going to be close to almost four. Um, Sentinel and Guide, HP World. 
wouldn't wizards have developed sense shield for privacy to block one or more senses and then could hide an abused child? Um, I think in order to hide Harry Potter's conditions in canon, that a damn wizard would have to live with him. And follow him to school, and follow him to the playground, and follow him to wherever he goes. I agree. Because but- either, okay, say, so, say private drive is warded, so that the Sentinels can't see into it. That creates a hole. Uh, the hole, yeah. It's going to draw their attention. A lack of something will draw their attention faster than something. It's like, why is there a sensory ward? If they have, let's say there's a sensory ward, and a sentinel's walking down the street, it would catch their attention, that sensory blank. Because a sentinel... And then they would be asking themselves, why is there a house shielded in a muggle neighborhood where I can't see, hear, or smell anything in it? And so they'd sit and they'd wait, and they'd wait for this little waif-like boy to go to school. Who's dressed in clothes too big for him. And he's quite small for his age. And he's being followed by a wizard who's preventing me from being able to smell him. I mean, it's just, it just, it, it's trying to hide from sentinels is probably actually harder than just trying to blend in. I mean, I mean, they would have to literally shield him 24 seven and it's not, I mean, he would stand out like a sore thumb. He would be like a little black hole in, for, for, um, for every sentinel who comes across him. And that would make them super fucking curious. And since they would know about magic, they would sense out pretty quickly that there's a fucking wizard following this little kid around, and they'd want to know more. But more, the reason why I think that it wouldn't happen the way it is, is that in a Sentinel and Guide world where Sentinel and Guides are known and there are rules and laws and regulations to protect them as a populace, neither Petunia nor Vernon are dumb. And you don't treat a late a, a latent sentinel or guide or online sentinel and guide the way they treated Harry Potter and think they would get away with it. So Dumbledore would have to be manipulating them magically to make them do this. That would have to escape the notice of every sentinel and guide who crosses Harry Potter's path. They would also have to ignore the invisible wizard or witch following this poor kid around. Which implies a level of disgusting conspiracy around keeping Harry Potter abused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dumbledore not only has warded the house, but he has sentinels and but he has witches and witches who follow him around 24/7 making sure some sentinel and guy doesn't doesn't smell the stress of him being abused. It would be easier to hide the kid in the room of requirement at, at Hogwarts than to keep him on private drive. Well, but as, as as honestly as morally bankrupt as I think Dumbledore is, that is a level of. I think his whole plan around Harry involved being hands off for eleven for ten years. So Dumbledore being that invested in day to day keeping Harry from being, um, he wanted Harry Potter to be ignorant of his circumstances. Exactly. So, and the best way to do that, honestly, would be to ensure that Vernon and Petunia took care of him properly if there's Sentinel guides running around. And I, I honestly think that in that case, because he could still keep Harry ignorant and relatively isolated just by letting it alone. Um, all he has to do is 
tell Vernon and Petunia, you know, he's living with you. And but Vernon and Petunia would know that they can't get away with that shit, and they wouldn't even try. Honestly, in a Sentinel God universe, they wouldn't even try because they would know they would get caught. So they would not be having treating Harry as badly in the Sentinel Guide universe as they did in canon. Um, but if Harry came online as a child, it could be. Because didn't we talk about this plot? You, I don't know if you, who this idea, whose idea this was, but didn't we talk about it one day? The idea that if he came online fairly young or if he was latent, that it might be an impetus for Petunia to treat him better, because yeah. it could be like a prestigious thing. And not only I think would it be something that she would want to brag about. Because Sentinels and Guides being what they are in society. But um, she would also be petrified of mistreating him. Mm -hmm. Because mistreating a, a child, Sentinel and Guide, is a good way to get a feral Sentinel up your ass. Right. In a deeply it, unpleasant way. And it could be if he's strongly latent, and maybe a Sentinel or Guide could detect that, um, that he goes a couple times a week down to the center for remedial classes on, you know, this is what to expect if you ever come online. And I mean, it's my headcanon, that's where these things work, is if they think there's a probability of somebody coming online, there'd be, there's probably some level of training for anybody who's latent. Um, and that if a Sentinel Guide maybe detects strongly that you have a high degree of latency or however you work that in your world building, that they would get classes and stuff. Um, so protect them, right? So that so that they would be okay when they come online and what to do, and their family would be well trained. And you know, if your child comes online, this is the thing. This is what you're supposed to do. This is who you're supposed to call. Nine one one services or emergency services would have um, protocols for how to deal with. You know, my child just came online. What do I do? And this kind of stuff would all be baked in. And so Vernon and Petunia, especially if they find out, you know, if they hate magic, they would not hate being a Sentinel or Guide, though. So they could be going, oh, thank God he's he's a Sentinel or Guide, he's not magical. You could even so do they, that. So they probably would assume that. Right. And they Petunia might, might well. he was both, because maybe her sister was both. But um, I think the Sentinel would outweigh the potential for him to be a wizard. But, you know, in their minds, he's a sentinel, and that's super important. And we have to make sure everybody knows that we have a sentinel in our family. Yeah. And Vernon and Petunia, I mean, it could be that if, if Dudley has the same degree of latency that Harry does, that they've been going to classes together. It could breed a better, put a better bond between them. Um, Dudley could wind up being a decent human being because he's had exposure to adults who are not as inclined to indulge him the way his parents did. So, I mean, there's a lot you could do to change circumstances, but you have to be kind of willing to go on that journey. If you just want Harry to be an abused child living in a cupboard and yet come online as a sentinel, it, it's problematic to work that out. You, you can do it, but it's, it's, it's hard. Kira and I have had long conversations about this. Like, well, could you do this? Could you do that? You know, we've you know we've had discussions about wards and what would this mean and how would that work and um, I think the biggest problem, as Kara said, with the ward is the first thing that crossed my mind is the blank. You don't want to present a blank to a sentinel, and then and that's what it would look like, a blank. I think that children, I, you know, when it comes to like magical sentinels and guides, you need to come up with your own world building, like what happens in a magical society. What role does a sentinel on God play in magical society? In the Lion and the Raven, um, sentinels and guides are pretty rare in the magical world. Um, guides are even more rare. Um, and they're treated very well. But they're also, um, in Britain, the ministry has a history of kind of press gang 
asking Sentinel guys into ministry service for their own uses. And uh, it's caused some social problems. So Sentinels and guides, for the most part, hide in Britain. Um, at least from magical people. Uh, and so Harry knows going, going in that no one should know he's a Sentinel. But he's also smart enough to have reached out to uh, McGregor, whose son is also a Sentinel. And McGregor has a title. And so he's asked McGregor, Jonah McGregor, my OC, to be his guardian in the magical world. And Dumbledore has no clue. He's going to find out. It's great. Um, so that he can't be... Um, so, so Dumbledore couldn't sign him over to the Ministry for Service. Because Harry feared that it might happen. Um, and the same thing goes for Hermione. When he realized that Hermione was his guide, um, he was like, he contacted Jonah and got her to go visit, you know, got him to go visit her parents to arrange her magical guardianship so that Dumbledore couldn't get access, couldn't get, you know, couldn't control his guide. Um, so, but it's something you have to think about what you want to do with it. Do you want them to hide? And I thought it was best for him to hide as much, as much as possible considering Dumbledore's duplicity, even in Ken, he's, he's a very, he's got an agenda and it doesn't involve um, Harry Potter living to be an adult. Yeah. And that's canon. And so he's not very, but you know, it was really, he, um, He decides that he's going to start trolling people. Harry Potter, he's like, you know what? These people are so fucking gullible. And he has all the Slytherins convinced that Doctor Who is real. Because they're the most, ha you know, they're, um, they're the house with no Muggleborn. And what's worse is the Muggleborns in the castle have caught on. So they're agreeing with everything Harry and Hermione do. So they practically got, like, um, the Ravenclaws are trying to duplicate Jim's earrings from Jim and the Holograms. <laughs> and Seamus Finnegan is just like, he's he's trying to hold it together, right? But then Harry and Hermione decide to tell the Gryffindors about the Smurfs and he loses it. So, yeah, I mean, you know. But, uh, you, you gotta have your fun where you can. Keep it smurfy. Um, and he talked this, and they manipulated the Slytherins into reporting the three-headed dog to their parents. Because they figured out that their parents would be the most influential. And so, like, <laughs> and no one would listen to them. So, and then Amelia Bones comes and gets that dog. <laughs> I mean, I... I, I I just, I don't want really, I, I want all stories, all stories, Harry Potter stories, to have Amelia Bones coming after Fluffy. I, I just, I just want that. I mean, I just like need it in all stories is that somebody tells, you know, their parents that it's there and Amelia, Amelia Bones is, is in there deal with that damn dog. Because I want the scene where she comes up to Dumbledore and goes, Albus, do you want to explain the third floor corridor? Why the fuck do you have a three-headed dog in this school? What is wrong with you? There's a Cerberus behind a door that we opened with a first year unlocking charm. It totally would. It, it, to it totally is slavery. But if you look at um, 
But it's really honestly no different than parents signing a marriage contract for their kids, which is a very common Harry Potter trope. Yeah. That's a mixture of slavery, indentured servitude, and rape. It's my headcanon that Dumbledore still has a job because he's blackmailing people. <laughs> like a whole lot of people. <laughs> I have to say, in most of the stories I, I even plot plot or write in, with Harry Potter, is once Dumbledore's misdeeds come to light, like, my first priority is to get Dumbledore out of the school. Because it's just... Yeah. I th- it, it's interesting. I think people have a real attachment to keeping Dumbledore in Hogwarts. And uh, even when it stops making sense, it's like, wow. So you pointed out all these horrible things he's done. I mean, I've read stories where, you know, th- they got Dumbledore's, he's, he's memory charmed people. And people know like the, 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 the whizzy cops. I can't, I'm not going to even go down that path today, but the whizzy cops. Wars, we decided. <laughs> No, we did not decide because that's not the way it is in my head. In my head, it's Aurors. I can't aurors. actually say it the way I say it in my head. In my head, it's Aurors, but which which still sounds terrible. But that's the way it's in my head. When the Aurors, um, but they have the Aurors finding out all of these things, and um, and yet they leave. They go, well, we we don't have enough to get him out of the school. Oh yes, you do. Of course you do. What the? Let's just let's just leave the serial offender around children. How about no? So, okay, you asked, um, are other rare magical guides and sentinels haven't taken over the ministry? Well, the thing is, is the ministry is corrupt as fucking canon, and there are a whole bunch of supposedly good people who are in the light who do nothing about the ministry. So, why should sentinel and guides be any different? Well, I do usually try to write sentinels and guides not being a blatant part of corruption. True, but they don't work for the ministry. That would be right. a blatant part of um, the corruption. Um, but they are rare. I think I think I have in my, and I think there are about 50 in Britain. Sentinels. They're magical. Well, I, mean, I guess you could write it that Sentinels and Guides are considered creatures, but um, wow. I mean, the magic, I mean, honestly, the way J.K. Rowling wrote the world building it's entirely possible that if you had people that they, that if they, cause if they could t- take somebody who gets, you know, lycanthropy through a bite and call them a magical creature, as opposed to, you know, human being, um, it, you could go down the path of, you know, somebody comes online and gets special abilities and then going, okay, you're a magical creature now. Um, it's, it's ugly, but it's not, it's not out of, it's not beyond the scope of, of, of her approach in canon. So, in the story, um, they're not enslaved. Um, what happened? Well, what happens in my in my, in my particular head canon is that was Harry's fear. But what really happens is the Ministry basically indoctrinates the Sentinels and guys they find, and basically makes them believe that it's their job to serve the Ministry, and that that's the way they help magical Britain. Which isn't all that different than how they treat other employees. But Harry's fear was is that Dumbledore would try to control him. And that would be one of the ways that he tried to do it. 
No, that was just Harry's fear. That isn't actually happening. There aren't contracts being signed on the behalf of these children, of which there are not many. But that was Harry's fear, having never been much in the magical world and having been educated by the muggles, muggle sentinels and guides. He doesn't actually meet a magical sentinel to the day he does his shopping. And that's by accident. So all he has to go on is what he's learned at the Burton Foundation. And he genuinely fears what Dumbledore is capable of. It's not some epidemic of child servitude. <laughs> I would never in a million years write something shitty like that. But Harry's 11 years old. And Dumbledore is more of a bad guy to him in his mind than even Voldemort. That's right, I'm a classy bitch. Because Dumbledore is an immediate threat. He's right in Harry's face. And Voldemort is a specter. 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 Yeah, Dumbledore is an asshole in the story, though. <laughs> he's usually an asshole, even when he's not a bad guy. Um... Okay, so we could rat hole for two more hours on Harry Potter and the Sentinel because that is a thorny, thorny subject. I think we're done with the actual podcast. Yep. I'm not. I'm not. I can hang around. If you guys want to talk about some more about this, but um, we'll, we'll we'll end the podcast here, so I won't be editing for twenty five hours. Um. So I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend, and where the fuck is chad there's chad and uh, we shall catch you later say good night jilly good night everyone